Hey Cinecasters, it's finally here. Our final Wes Anderson episode in the Anderson vs. Anderson arc, and our final UK Criterion competition at this moment. This week we'll be giving away a copy of Wes Anderson's The Grand Budapest Hotel on Blu-ray, courtesy of UK Criterion and Sony Pictures at Home. The disc features a 2K digital transfer supervised by Wes Anderson, audio commentary by Wes Anderson, Roman Coppola, and Jeff Goldblum, a documentary about the film, some pretty amazing packaging, and so much more. If you'd like to enter to win this copy, pop us an email at podcast at princecharlescinema.com and tell us your favorite hotel you've ever stayed at. We'll be running this competition on at the PCC Podcast on Twitter and Instagram in the coming days, so increase your chances to win by keeping an eye out for those posts when they drop in and are there too. This week's competition closes at 10 a.m. Tuesday the 21st of September 2021. It's available to UK listeners only. Be sure to follow UK Criterion at UK Criterion on Twitter and Instagram to keep up with all the latest releases. Remember, just pop us an email, podcastprincecharlescinema.com. Tell us your favorite hotel. Last but not least, good luck. All right, I'm recording. Me too. I'm coming in hot, angry already, but also happy. Phil, I just want to raise a drink to you. We fucking did it, brother. We did it. We chin, did it. chin, chin, chin. <laughs> oh. Oh. Ooh. Uh, we had to drink a little bit of alcohol just to celebrate. Day drinking, you know? You know, that we're finally at the end of the shit. Oh, welcome to the Bot Charles <laughs> Cinecast, presented by the Prince Charles Cinema and the Breadcrumbs Collective. This is your host, Jonathan Foster, and I am here today with my lobby boy, or Phil, I have an alternative, or my boy with Apple, <laughs> Phil. How's it going, Phil? It's not bad. Both are good. I like lobby boy. Yeah. I feel like that's our relationship. I'm the lobby boy to your concierge. <laughs> that's about right. Yeah. Pretty accurate description. <laughs> What's going Just, on here? Yeah, without the perfume. <laughs> Dude, I wish... Oh, fucking <clears throat> hell. Yeah. I wish I had my perfume. One second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we come. It's like a fucking occasion here, man. A special occasion. We gotta, oh, like, yes. Fucking, we I want to hear that. The polo number one. Oh, my Ooh. God. There we go. You hear that? We get a little bit on the wrist. Mm. <laughs> oh shit! You're Smelling gonna go, good. You get. You get to finish the podcast, Julia. It's like, where the fuck are you going? <laughs> Smelling like that. <laughs> so I'm going to the wrestling later. The wrestling. <laughs> I'm gonna pick up me some cute boys. The wrestling show. <laughs> we'll be good now. You hear? <laughs> How you doing, Phil? <laughs> I'm all right. I'm happy because we're at the end. Yeah. It's been. End. 12 months or whatever <laughs> of Anderson versus Anderson yeah. and I never want to talk about either of these people again. We will though. Well, that's not true, but yeah. you know, we have to. Yeah, we will. Um, but, we get a f- quite a few weeks break. We need a party popper. I want yeah. I want to hear explosions, not explosions, <laughs> but you know, I want to hear like 
something is happening in the background sound like yeah. something i don't know what will you miss anything about this no it's been horribly stressful <laughs> <laughs> i love the consistency of it like yeah. knowing that's what we're doing next week and i've yeah. enjoyed going through two directors whole filmography for like i got to know them better yeah but like you know the intense pressure of the rankings and you know watching one rise and one fall so drastically <laughs> it, you know it's just it's done you know a number on my psyche I, yeah. I can't even say are you feeling better from last week oh god yeah um, that was like a <laughs> two or three day thing it was kind of crazy like, yeah. I can't believe like I literally haven't shat and thrown up that much since <laughs> I was a little kid and I don't remember what my ailment was but uh, my mother took me to the doctor and they prescribed me penicillin and I'm allergic to penicillin but I didn't oh, know at the no. time didn't yeah. know at the time and, how are you uh, going to find out Yeah, and I, I just felt worse and worse every time I was taking this penicillin and my mom was like, nah, like you, know, you just don't like it because little kids don't like taking medicine you know so they just, you know, they're just gonna like, just take your medicine. You have to take it. Yeah. And then, like, I took it one time, and about like twenty minutes later, I like literally shat myself and threw up at the exact same time. Oh and no! I think my both mom was ends. like, "All right, <laughs> yeah, all right, maybe." <laughs> you know, I'm allergic. Yeah, and then, you know, so yeah, if you want to kill me, you can give me some penicillin. Yeah. Um, and Grand Budapest Hotel is like the cinematic equivalent of that. Penicillin, yeah. Of, of shitting and puking <laughs> at the same time. For some people, it, it literally is yeah. like penicillin. For some people, it's very transformative and healing as healing yeah. factors. And people fucking love it and they swear by it. But for other people, it makes me shit. <laughs> it just makes me shit. What do you want? I watched this back to back. I watched yeah. this in the morning and I took a shit. And I watched Hudson Hawk. <laughs> and that was my fucking morning. <laughs> well, listeners out there, if you uh, if you heard Hudson Hawk there, that's because over on patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast <laughs> for $5 or more for our lovely backers there, you get, hey, bonus episodes. Like Phil and I have been saying, we just did fucking old. We did Space Jam, a new legacy. We've done all legacy. these newer films lately, but hey, we went back in time. We did an old film. It's a really, really like amazing top tier Bruce Willis film called Hudson Hawk. And I think you guys would really want to hear Phil and I talk shit about it for about yes. an hour. So go over to patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast. Support the podcast. That's the only way we get paid. Otherwise, we it, don't. It, what is it? It's doggy do? What did Richard E. Gaunt call it? <laughs> I don't remember. I forget. Yeah. I don't remember. You just, you watched it like literally five minutes ago. So like, <laughs> you should remember. I saw it like two days ago. Nah. Nah. nah, nah. It's fine. Nah. But yeah, this is a, uh, it's a good time to support the podcast. You know, just be good. Good. I like hearing from people as well. And guess what, Phil? We got a little bit of user feedback. Hey, hey, hey. User feedback. Listen to feedback. This isn't the stuff I did on Twitter. This is something. <laughs> this wasn't the fucking <laughs> fake AMA I did. <laughs> AMA. I was surprised you had so many replies. I was pretty cool. I did. The whole. There's like I legitimate only, replies. Really I only well. did it. 
because I thought that would be the joke. I yeah, would write no quick one AMA, <laughs> nobody would reply. Yeah. I'd wait half an hour and be like, oh, thanks for the... I still did the joke. Cause, yeah. Yeah, thanks yeah. for the response. And sorry, I couldn't get to them all. <laughs> Better luck next time. Yeah. But yeah, I got three <laughs> decent questions and I didn't yeah. give a real answer to any of them. Yeah. Did that include the one that I gave you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you gave a real answer. <laughs> yeah, jokey. Yeah, I mean, mine was a joke as well. Yeah. <laughs> We're joking. We have yeah. a thing. Uh, well, this is a newer listener. I don't know how long he's been listening to the podcast for, but it's by a man named Flynn who popped out an email, popped us an email at podcast oh, at princecharlescinema.com. Legit so, fan. Very nice. Uh, he said, hi, Jonathan and Phil. Uh, firstly, I want to say that you guys you have been suck. doing... <laughs> <laughs> you suck. <laughs> I want to say that imagine. you guys have been doing such a great job with the podcast, and I've been loving the Anderson versus Anderson retrospective recently. So there we go, another person in favor. Good. I just I'm glad it's ending. <laughs> That's all I'm <laughs> he said I'm with Phil that the Master is one of the greatest films of all time and my all time favorite. Smart fucking guy. And I managed to catch the 35 millimeter screening this August which was oh. nothing short of a religious experience. I thought I'd reach out to you guys to ask how you got started at the cinema. So here we go. Oh. Again. Here we go again. We get, we feel go like again. we get this every origin so often. story. We have yeah. to have the origin story. You know, newer listeners come aboard. Um, as a cinephile and an avid cinema goer at the Prince Charles cinema is a Mecca. I'm planning on moving <laughs> to London in the near future. And it's been a dream of mine to work at the Prince Charles. So I thought I'd ask you guys, how to go about getting a job there. Also, what do I need on my CV? Are there a lot of applicants to, to fight off? Uh, what did you guys, guys just do? want the fucking job? Yeah, what did you guys <laughs> do before you got the gig? Maybe this isn't the right place to ask. Anyway, I thought I'd chuck you an email your you're way right. Next and question. let you know <laughs> the stuff you're doing has been great. So thanks for that. All the best. Thanks, Flynn. So yeah, thanks Flynn for your email. We can break it down little by little if we want to go through. So, Little uh, by little. It kind of, yeah, how'd you get started the Prince Charles Cinema? So he asked, like, you know, because he's want, he's inquiring about a job. So what kind of stuff does he need on his CV? Mm. I mean, I used to actually hire at the cinema. Yeah, so yeah, I was going to say, you're the guy. <laughs> I have a lot of experience looking at CVs and all that sort of stuff. What did you like to see? It helps if you give a cover letter as well, obviously. But like, yeah. I want your cover letter to be sort of genuine. If I'm looking at it, I don't no. do this anymore. So, I mean, I'm not the guy anymore. Yeah. But I used to be. But for me, when I used to look at them, I, I like to see like genuine cover letters. Like, I kind of, I mean, I'm fine with people talking about how much they like they like the cinema. Like, yeah, this guy already nice. had a leg leg up on the competition. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's really nice, but I want it to be like sort of genuine. There's a there's a line that people cross sometimes in their CVs where it feels like they're trying too hard, and mm. that's like for me always kind of a weird one because like there's certain people that come to like in, like interviews and stuff, and they're just like it's like they almost dress because they think that's what we want to see, like them wearing a, like a big trouble in little China T-shirt. It's like come on, man, like just like <laughs> just be, to a unit, to just be yourself, man. Yeah. Like you don't have to dress like. You know, shirt and tie and all that sort of stuff. But like, you know, I bought a nice shirt just for my interview. <laughs> yeah, I did too. And it worked. I was dressed pretty smartly as well yeah. for my interview. 
but yeah, that's the sort of thing. What, what's on your CV? I mean, to be honest, like, you know, we got people from all different walks of life coming into the cinema. I, I never worked at a cinema. Yeah, me either. Beforehand. Um, what I did before, I was a fucking manager at a grocery store when I, and I was mm. in America. Um, so, like, cash handling experience is always good. Bar work is really good. Yeah, we actually people, really love... Like, customer service work. Yeah, we love people who know their way around a bar because... Uh, it's something I think a lot of new people are a bit daunted by is uh, like at our bar, yeah. um, which is <laughs> really easy. So I don't really get why, but it's also because Peter, <laughs> Peter, Peter, just, yeah. Peter, the bar, up, Peter. the bar manager, he's, he's a bit he likes anal. to change the stock yeah. and change the rule yeah. week to week. He changes, <laughs> he changes things a lot. So you got to be prepared to be anything to be shaken up at the be last adaptable. minute. Yeah. You got to be very adaptable go. for sure. Uh, also, a lot of applicants to fight off. Hell yes. There's a lot of applicants. <laughs> yeah. So you could be the perfect person on paper and like someone that you would think that uh, we would instantly call up and stuff, but you know, for an interview, but we have so many applicants mm. like people pass in CVs all the time and we keep them on file for like 90 days. So it's like one of those things, if you come to London and you're trying to get a job here, like after like 90 days, maybe just pop a CV in again if you haven't heard from us, because we only hire every so often. Mm. Um, it feels like it's been a little bit more recently. But we've um, had people leave. But we've had people <laughs> leaving and stuff. So we, we go through cycles at the cinema where people like will leave. It's and just sort of yeah. like almost like, a, like quite a few people leave at the same time. And then it builds up the roster again and then it'll be like you know seasonal like you know christmas time is a great time to get your foot in um yeah because we're always needing help uh at christmas room week room week and yeah. summer uh when people are going on holiday so yeah those are kind of you know the times i would say are good times to chuck a cbn otherwise if you see us posting out about it on social media but we get tons of applicants at that point as well application yeah, so yeah yeah it's hard, man. but anyway, um, hope that helps. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you could do it. I mean, you could email, email it. You can pop it in physically, which I always prefer. Like yeah. you made an effort and it's kind of old school. No, so you can and talk to the person. We, they can make exactly. a good, a good if, you know, if you leave a good impression. Yeah. If you make a good impression, they'll make a little note on that TV and then suddenly, yeah. you know, that one stands out a bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, being genuine, I think it's it really yeah. good advice. Yeah, yeah. And you don't have to have anything, but enough to get through the door. Because in an interview, that's when we finally get to actually see what you like. And then that's yeah. the real test. Because <laughs> I think anyone can learn how to work at the cinema. But yeah. it's like, can you, will you fit in here? Yeah. Like, we have a distinct group of people here. We have a distinct clientele. And it's like, can you handle that? And some people can't and some people do it with flying colors yeah so yeah, yeah if you're down if you're already down with the program you have a good chance absolutely well flynn thank you so much uh best of luck in your eventual move to london and you know yeah. you're shot at trying to get in the doors of the prince charles cinema i will say from my own personal experience i won't speak for phil but like i consider myself really lucky to have gotten my job at the cinema because i know how hard it is like yeah, with so many applications and stuff and i was just like yeah it was just by chance i saw a post well, actually my friend told me there was a post and i applied on my birthday uh Aww. almost well like over seven years ago now i just hit my um i just hit my seventh anniversary at the prince Charles cinema and that made me freak out a 
Freak out. Jesus freak Christ. out. All right. Well, that's it. Thanks. If you guys want to ever send us stuff, hit us up at the PCC podcast on Twitter. You can pop us a message on Instagram as well at the PCC podcast or send an email like Flynn did podcast at uh, we love hearing from you guys. It's always fun to read these out. Oh, wait. all right, Phil. It's ah! it's here. What? It's week fifteen. Fifteen. We did it. The final oh. week for now. Final week. No more Anderson. No, I'm for saying now. now. No more Anderson. Anderson movies. <laughs> no more of our Maybe art hitting the more. films of Wes Anderson <laughs> against the films of Paul Thomas Anderson, and we are just about ready to check out, baby. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's time for, and I will miss this probably most. Yeah, the, the theme, theme song. Anderson oh. versus Anderson. As you can see, we've had our eye on you for some time now, Mr. Anderson. Anderson, Mr. Anderson, Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Ding, ding. I love that fucking theme, man. <laughs> One of your best. Yeah, seriously, I was actually uh, thinking about it. I wish there was more films where, like, guys are, like, for some reason, hooking up with their sisters or something or wanting to. Because <laughs> you so only had I, one. Because I really like that theme song as well. Like, dude, that's your sister. Like, you know, come on. Come on, <laughs> guys. that bit out of Star Wars where he's like, you love him. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, he's we've like, done he's all of those. Yeah, we've done all of those. <laughs> yeah. We've done all the, like, dude, that's your sister stuff. I came oh, up with man. that theme way too late. <laughs> <laughs> Last week, Phil and I got sick. Well, at least I did. Well, Phil was already sick. I got really sick. Um, and made dresses for prom <laughs> with uh, PTA's eighth teacher, Phantom Thread. Now, this week, we head to a parallel 1930s Europe, to the fictional land of Zbroka. Just as a great war is about to break out due to the rise of the fascist power, much like how in World War II, you know, the Nazis came into power. And we check into a hotel run by a very peculiar concierge and Wes Anderson's eighth feature. What is it, Bill? The best exotic marigold hotel. (laughs) (laughs) It's GBH, baby. GBH. Bodily harm. The Grand Budapest Hotel. Why do you want to be a lobby boy? Who wouldn't? At the Grand Budapest, sir. And so my life began. Junior lobby boy in training under the strict command of Monsieur Gustave H. <laughs> Many of the hotel's most valued and distinguished guests came for him. I love you. I love you. She was dynamite in the sack, by the way. She was 84. Mm, I've had older. This was also when I met Agatha. She's charming. She's so charming. Is he flirting with you? Yes. I approve of this union. I became his pupil, and he was to be my counselor and guardian. The police are here. Tell them I'll be right down. She's been murdered, and you think I did it. Hey! Stop! You're looking so well, darling. You really are. I don't know what sort of cream they've put on you down at the morgue, but I want some. This is Madame D's last will and testament. Monsieur Gustave H. I bequeath a painting known as Boy with Apple. Wow. What? Who's Gustave H? I'm afraid that's me, darling. 
If I learn you ever once laid a finger on my mother's body, living or dead... I go to bed with all my friends. We need to make a plan for your survival. Hide this. It's in code and you might need a magnifying glass to read it, but it tells you exactly where and how to find Boy with Apple. I'm a baker. I'm not a fence, if that's the term. I want roadblocks at every junction for 50 kilometers. I want rail blocks at every train station for 100 kilometers. Get in! I want 50 men and 10 bloodhounds ready in five minutes. can't arrest him simply because he's a bloody immigrant. Take your hands off my lobby boy! Have you ever been questioned by the authorities? Yes, on one occasion. What, what, what? I was arrested and tortured by the rebel militia after the mm -hmm. desert uprising. Right. Well, you know the drill then. Zip it. Budapest. In the 1930s, the Grand Budapest Hotel... <laughs> It's a popular European ski resort presided over by concierge Gustav H, played by Ray Fiennes. Zero, Tony Revolori? Tony Revolori? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always say ravioli. But yeah, I want right. to say ravioli, but that's not right <laughs> it's at all. It's not right. Yeah. That's just what it looked like. <laughs> a uh, junior lobby boy becomes Gustav's friend and protege. Gustav prides mm -hmm. himself on providing first-class service to the hotel's guests including satisfying the sexual needs of many of the elderly women who stay there. I got to bed with all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> a good line. Yeah. When one of Gustav's lovers, Madame D, played by Tilda Swinton, dies mysteriously, Gustav finds himself the recipient of a priceless painting called Boy with Apple and <laughs> the chief suspect in her murder. What? And he's also on the run from her son, Dimitri, played by Adrian Brody, and his loyal henchman, Joplin, played by William Defoe. It's the 2014 comedy drama written and directed by Wes Anderson with a story from Wes Anderson <laughs> and Hugo Guinness. <laughs> Hot takes <laughs> off the gate, Phil, GBH. Uh, GBH. <laughs> I'm not down with GBH, man. You know, you know what? You know <laughs> we, what? We're here. It's finally here. The drum rolls were going, and he's just like, fuck it. I'm jumping in. Fuck it, I'm, I'm not down with it. I'm not down with GBH. I'm making a statement. And I think I would like this movie more if this wasn't the Wes Anderson movie all of a sudden. Yeah. It's biggest, most successful, most critically lauded. I don't think it. There's so many that better great. films that he's That's, done. He had. I've literally just watched them all. <laughs> yeah. He had like so many better films, and obviously the film's not bad. Yeah, no. Like even like even Life Aquatic, I did wasn't into, but that's not a bad movie. It just doesn't work for me. And this one, same thing. And this one, I hate that he was rewarded so much for this because this is like all his bad habits for me. Like, oh, this is the worst one. This is the worst one. And French Dispatch looks like the same thing. It's so twee. This is the most central framed fuck every shot in this yeah. film. Every it, shot. Everything is like painfully crafted and put together. And it's got an amazing cast, but it's like a string of cameos, a string of like you have loads of amazing people that have one or two lines. And it's just a 
two hours of introducing people and title card and jumping around in time. It's fragmented and annoying and like it it overshadowed the good moment, but even the good moments are like, oh, that was funny. Oh, that yeah. was a well done sequence. It's like there's nothing there for me in this movie. I don't feel like it's about anything. I don't think it doesn't get me emotionally. Like I think it wants to at the end, but I don't really give a shit. It's just not about anything. There's no real character. There's no real arc. It's just there. It's just happening, and it's a fun time. And then stuff it could be about. It had so much happening in the background. There's so much darkness underneath it, but most of it is anecdotal. Most of it is dismissed as like mischief and jokes and. He's talking about stuff that just never comes together and it's just so painfully removed and detached by his style of filmmaking. There's fucking three intros before the film starts. I don't need <laughs> yeah. the guy talking to the camera to talk about when he was young, flash back to the 60s, to talk to another guy to tell his story, flash back to the 30s, just to get to the fucking story. You know what I mean? And then yeah. at that point, you're jumping between characters, but none of the characters really give you anything apart from really the main two which i guess maybe at the point they're very good in it i love duro and i, I think ray fine amazing in the absolutely movie. he's so good in this film. fucking so killed good. it and even there's stuff there that's under the surface that they never deal with like he lived in a very homophobic time and he, yeah. he probably he's an old world guy and he believed in sort of very maybe outdated classic values at that point Mm-hmm. And he parted that to Dero, you know, and there's something to that. And he's an interesting character, but they never really get into it. And I don't really believe even his emotional moment, like that moment with Dero, I think it jumped from being played for laughs to being completely serious. And I, then I don't really believe the characters at all. And it's like with Life Aquatic, I love that world. I love being in it. This one, I love the idea of it. I would love the whole thing to be just set in the hotel. That's a great idea for a West Anderson movie. But it's not. It starts there, and then we're in everywhere, everywhere but there. Yeah. Mostly on trains and stuff. It's more yeah. like Darjeeling. But it's got that cool mix of styles there. There's like the animated stuff and the live-action stuff. There's moments I really like, but I don't, don't really... I'm somewhat indifferent to this movie. It's fine, I don't, and I really don't think it's one of his best yeah yeah that's what bothered me but what what did you think well i'm yeah i'm pretty much almost like 100 percent on board with what you're saying like (laughs) you know it's almost like exactly the same as how i feel about this i was like i'm trying to be fair about it i was excited to see it again um because it was it was something that i know i didn't like when i i mean you know i watched it quite a few times at the cinema like i watched it once Mm. like just to watch it watch it and then i watched it a few times as an usher because um, yeah, yeah. we had it early on when I started working in the cinema. But yeah, it's just like it never did it for me back then. I was always sort of like I didn't understand why people loved it so much. It was just like, well, it's not that fun. Like Ray Fiennes is a fucking amazing in it. To be honest, yeah. this I was so glad that uh, we jumbled up these films a little bit because like, it felt like it'd be very bad to sort of end on um, – like Phantom Thread versus Isle of Dogs. Isle of Dogs. It's yeah. just like weird. That doesn't work. But this pairing is actually pretty amazing. It's actually pretty amazing how like similar the characters of Gustav sure. and uh, Reynolds Woodcock are. They're like very that, yeah. similar. And it's like, 
you know, they're such particular, peculiar men. Um, mm. They're both British and they're both like. Yeah. Live uh, men out of time. Yeah, yeah. 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 And they're like obsessed about their work that they're doing. And they're both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's like the queer sort of side to them as well. And like, it's, it's, it's like an interesting, like I, like you said, like, I wish they would have leaned on that a little bit more because obviously, yes, he's going on, he's like having sex with all these like older women and that's like what he's showing and stuff. But he, there's also like, you know, there's the Adrian man or is it genuine? Yeah. Like Adrian Brody, like calling him out, like calling him, you know, basically a faggot. And it's just like fucking weird. It's horribly uh, homophobic. And it's like, and why, then he goes, why well, is that even there? And he's like, well, I thought I was, how am I supposed know, to react to that? Yeah. <laughs> like I thought I was queer. He's like, well, you're bisexual. And then it's just like, all right. Yeah. To change and, the subject. Those like, those moments are fun and they're funny in the way they're played off. But it's like, there is something to Gustav and like, you want to, like yeah. you could have explored it a little bit more. Like, yeah. I think they explore a lot of him, but they also are tr- trying to tell like zero story and, like they just fall short on a lot of these things. And a lot of it has to do with the thing that I think we were worried about was that because there's so many people and they keep introducing more people yeah, to a point where every, all these fucking people just become cameo spots and they don't really matter. Literally. Like the, don't. like the, the, um, the cross keys or whatever, uh, society or whatever, like society yeah, and it's Bill keys. Murray. And yeah. It's, it's, it's like, I love all those people, but like, why are they, they are pointless in this film. You're burning screen time. Yeah. Like if you're going to have all of these people in this, this movie, like have them actually like be important or like, even like Tosha Ronan, who's great. Yeah. And you build her for half the movie. Agatha. He doesn't want to talk about Agatha. Yeah. It's so important to her. And you know why, but by the time you meet her, it's a glorified cameo. Yeah. Again, she's barely in it. She's so she's good. Barely. She could have been utilized so much better. Like her and zero yeah. story is played, you know, in flashback and it's yeah. really, in hindsight even and but like that's an interesting Nero story is really fucking interesting and it doesn't he barely says a goddamn word he's in every scene and you I don't really know him yeah. and like I don't really you know I don't under, I can see how he becomes the guy that Jude Law is interviewing but like I wish I just wish there was more maybe that's a good sign it's like yeah. I do like what's there I wish there was more of it like you know, yeah, I wanted more Willem Dafoe and I wanted, wanted more Harvey Keitel and Ed Norton and Adrian Brody. People. Adrian Brody. Piece of shit. Him at the bad guy. There's your bad guy. He's like playing like, it like wacky races. It's so interesting. Literally like, twirling at my Yeah, it's like, I want to see more of this. Like, I think, yeah, cut out that fucking fat man. Like, this is what worries and me. And it's about already short. French Dispatch. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really, it's not a long film and it doesn't feel Alice long 40? watching it. It actually goes by pretty Three quickly. It's it the feels same fine. length in Hudson Hook. Yeah. It feels <laughs> fine when you're watching it. It's just like you have so many people and it's like I'm worried about French Dispatch because I'm like, all right, well, how. How are we going to be the same this? thing, man? Like, it's going to be the same thing. I like, and I'm with you. I didn't, I didn't dislike this film. Like, I don't, no, I don't hate no, no, it. No. I don't, I think it's okay. I just don't see it as being like top tier Wes Anderson. There's plenty of better films. Um, mm. And yeah, like, there's enough about it that is, that it is good. Like, like we said, Ray Fiennes is amazing in this film. He's so good. Very yeah. good. Very funny. Uh, it's refreshing to see. I think it's even like, I'll get to it later, but when he came on board, he was like happy to be doing something where he's playing like a completely different character. He's used to playing bad yeah. guys. He's used yeah. to playing, I mean, he's fucking Baltimore. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, so like he's played 
for years all these characters that are like baddies and stuff and he finally gets to play like oh like he's in in bruges as well and he's great in that but he's also a baddie he's so, so good in that but yeah it's like he he gets to play like the 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 hero of the film the yeah like the most adored person in the story and like yeah, everybody and everybody wants to be with them and yeah. be like them and yeah he lived by a very like really sincere yeah. code almost just like yeah. you know he gives his life completely to the comfort and you know uh needs of others mm-hmm. there's something really admirable about that and there's your story it's like is he legit or is he bullshitting to get old ladies inherited and inherent yeah that's like a that that's, that's a, story, a way better you know? story yeah yeah but you have all this background of world war ii and like yeah changes in your right to fashion them and it's like you don't do any of it properly though yeah that it's was just, a big background noise that was a big uh a big thing with certain people thinking that he didn't take uh the subject matter around his film like that is set like the time period that is set in yeah you're because dealing he, with nazis because man. he's doing it obviously like during during that period, but he's playing it as a parallel, so it's not it's not actually like during yeah, World yeah. War Two, but it's like it's a parallel it's universe. It's a funny World but War Two, but you know <laughs> it, you know what he's doing, and it's like they and they. I think some critics didn't think he took it seriously enough, mm. you know. And it's like it's kind of a touchy subject, World War Two and stuff. And I I know he wanted to do it differently. Um, fuck, let's just get into it. Drafting the story of the Grand Budapest Hotel began back in 2006, actually, when Wes Anderson produced a 18-page script with his longtime collaborator, artist, and writer Hugo Guinness. So Guinness is known for providing the voice of Nathan Bunce in FMF. He was also responsible <laughs> for the paintings in Eli Cash's home in TRT. That's the Royal Tenenbaums. If you're not hip. And he also did some art for T-L-A-W-S-Z. That's The Life Aquatic with Steve Z. Clad. Come on. <laughs> the Lyles. <laughs> the story started out back in the day in 2006. It was started out in modern day France and the United Kingdom. And it was just the character of Gustav Age, who was inspired by a mutual friend of theirs. And uh, he was stealing a painting. And it didn't have all the setup. And it didn't have, you know all the other bits after mm. that we get, we have in the final film and they stalled when they weren't really sure where the story would go from there. And Wes Anderson would go on to make FMF and he went on to make MK ultra in the meantime. <laughs> but, uh, Wes also started reading books by Austrian writer, Stefan Zweig. So mm. the first one he read was beware the pity and then the post office girl. And he became obsessed deciding that he wanted to do some sort of Zweig-esque thing. He was also inspired by Zweig's memoir, The World of Yesterday, which describes the life in Vienna at the start of the 20th century, depicting the dying days of Austria-Hungary, the rise of Hitler in Viennese society between two world wars, as well as the history of the Habsburg Empire. So it's it's kind of, you can kind of get, you know, where he's coming from with yeah. how he set this. It sounds a lot like, he's pretty obsessed with the world of yesterday, I think. And like, Mm. that's where he set this film. Basically. Interestingly, those Zweig and his wife would commit suicide days after handing in the, uh, manuscript for the world of yesterday. So pretty sad. Dark shit. So yeah, it very much plays into the whole vibe of like the author narrator character that you have at the beginning of the film. This first played by Tom Wilkinson as an older man. 
and then Jude Law when he's younger. So when they do the time skips, um, I'm kind of with you though. Like, kind of didn't really need all that. Um, yeah. You could have just had it start out with like Jude Law coming to this. Like, you know, basically when Jude Law comes in, you don't need like that extra step. Like Jude Law coming in to talk to F. Murray Abraham about the hotel and his yeah, story. Just be just at the hotel. There. I don't need to <laughs> like. I don't need to like figure out how to get to the 30 from now just yeah. be there that's how movies work you could skip in time and skip yeah. in movement and just do it but this was Wes Anderson's like nod to his wife he was like this is him just going like this is this is the author I'm, this is me like oh, okay. tipping my hat to him so I think that's the reason why I did it uh, Wes Anderson like basically didn't want to adapt one of his stories uh, he just wanted to sort of mirror his life and he wanted to basically nick his style. So that's sort of what he was doing with this. Um, he also decided that instead of telling the story against the real historical events of World War II, something that he felt had been done time and time again and also just remis- romanticized uh, in a romanticized way that he wanted to do something vaguely historical and in an alternate timeline. So once the Grand Budapest Hotel took definite form, Wes Anderson resumed the screen uh, script writing and he finished the screenplay in six weeks. So mm. quick wrote this one by himself this time. I think I have a, f- a theory and this might be something that could potentially actually help uh, French dispatch. Cause I haven't seen it yet. I don't know, but Phil, no. the writers of the French dispatch are Wes Anderson, Roman Coppola, Jason Schwartzman, and then Hugo Guinness. Like all of them. You just need Owen Wilson. But those three, those first three are like the ones who provided us with Isle of Dogs, which I think is actually pretty fun. But they're yeah, also like notably that. the ones who provided us with the Darjeeling Limited. So, which I love. My face. Fucking great. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Well, Wes Anderson's writing by himself. Eh, yeah. I don't know. It doesn't. I'm I'm hopeful, but I don't want to walk in and my man Benicio del Toro has two lines. You know what I'm saying? I actually have heard a little bit, for, I guess, from the people who have seen it a bit, like it, like Venice and shit, that it's uh, it does play off a bit like a anthology almost. So great, yeah. So more storied where I don't get to know any of the characters. <laughs> yeah. Don't you miss bottle? Doesn't bottle rocket feel like a hundred years ago? Yeah, God damn you know it! What I mean? So much better. After the premiere of MK Ultra at Cannes in 2012, Wes Anderson began sightseeing <laughs> around Europe for visual motifs, visiting Vienna, Munich, and other major cities. He and the producers toured Budapest, uh, small Italian spa towns, and the Czech resort uh, Kalarvi Vary. I'm not really sure how you pronounce that. Peter mm-hmm. would probably Kalarvi Vary. Before a final stop in Germany, consulting hotel staff to develop an accurate idea of a real-life concierge work. Production thought that they'd find the perfect grand hotel to shoot in and out of, but they just couldn't. They couldn't find a fucking hotel. There was no hotel that they could find. So Wes Anderson knew that they'd shoot in Germany uh, due to tax incentives that they were given to shoot there. So he was like, yeah, we're probably going to shoot there. And they found this department store in a town called Gorlitz, which is on which is in Saxony and it's on the border of Germany and Poland and uh, it's about 20 minutes away from the Czech Republic so Wes Anderson said so in a way 
it's really right where our story would be if there was such a place. The department mm. store that we found, we made into our hotel, the big entrance uh, hall of the hotel. And then we found everything else from the movie within a certain radius of that department store. And we discovered all sorts of things and people as we traveled around, figuring it all out. We made a pastiche of the greatest hits of Eastern Europe. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And as I said, they tried for a long time to find a perfect hotel and they never could. So they decided to create a miniature. So the hotel is a miniature. Wes Anderson said, "For first, I love miniatures. It's just an old movie technique and an old fashioned approach. There's a certain charm to miniatures. To me, I just like them. I love the use of miniatures. Yeah. But also when you're doing a miniature, it means that you can make the thing exactly the way you want. You have essentially no limitations. So we can put our hotel where we want it uh, and we can make it look how we want it. And we can put things around it uh, that we actually want it to be there. And it was inspired by the paintings of Casper David uh, Friedrich. And they decided that they'd set the miniature in a little spa town that would be presented in the painting, you know, like, so basically all the backgrounds and stuff were like a painting in the spa town and all that, uh, in the style of this Casper David Friedrichs. And then they just had that miniature set right in the middle. Cause of course it's in the middle. Cause everything in this film's in the middle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, so that's how they kind of create it. I, I didn't speak on this, but I love the idea of that. I love miniatures as well. Mm-hmm. There's something about it in this film though, where it's almost too much. I think because yeah, it's that, so that fucking that, that bit that are unnecessary, that bit where it's like they drive down the road on a motorcycle and it's a fucking miniature. Yeah. There's no need for that. But like the, like the skiing stuff looks cool. Yeah. I'm fine with the skiing stuff, but it's like the setup to this skiing stuff. Like they're walking out onto the mountain or something like the that. The cable cars. You have, yeah. You have the little miniature. And it's just like, ah, the cable cars is like whatever. You could see he obviously like carried that on to Isle of Dogs because he fucking did the car cable things like in Isle of Dogs as well. But yeah, yeah. Like, he loves cable cars. It's it's fine. But it's that it's those little things in between that just feel like why do you have them walking like when you could just film them walking because you show them like two seconds later walking out talking to each other he's and it's just blur- what are you doing this? He's blurring this weird line between his I mean when he started doing puppets it's like perfect. I loved it in Life Aquatic. It was cool in Life Aquatic. Yeah. yeah, maybe it's just more restrained than life of credit, but mm. like he started do, he did MFF, yeah, FMF, fuck, and IOD, and you're like, yes, you know, he treats an act like puppets anyway, might as well be fucking yeah. puppets, and now he's like using more puppets <laughs> and stop motion in, yeah. in live action, he's like blurring the reality between them, so they all feel more cohesive. It's like George Lucas going back and re-editing the old Star Wars movies, yeah. you know putting in TGI so they look more like the prequel. But Wes Anderson's doing the opposite. He's just the opposite putting them in now. (laughs) Like put puppets in now. (laughs) Yeah. Um yeah, I think I think it's a bit too much. It's just this idea it feels like a video game where it's like like an old eight bit top down like Zelda. You go into a house and it's close up and you can see people walking interacting. And then you come out the house and suddenly you're up high looking down at the map and you're a tiny little sprite. Yeah. And you're walking around this thing and it's like it but with live action, it's weird. To, it's just a connection thing. It's like they don't exist in the real world almost because I only see them in miniatures. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, and 
I'm fine with a mix of miniatures and stuff and like pup, like stop motion puppet work and all that sort of stuff. That's fine. It's just the way it was used in this film. It just feels like it's almost too much. I think mm-hmm. that's where it's at. It's just like because everything's so wonderfully twee in this film. Like it looks amazing. It does. It looks fucking amazing. The like it deserves the awards it got for its costumes and and like set design. It looks incredible. But that's the thing. Wes Anderson films always sort of look incredible. But it's just like it, it looks like so twee in the Wes Anderson vibes. And then everything's in the like <laughs> everything else. It's like. <laughs> I get it with people maybe like thinking this is like, oh, it's the greatest Wes Anderson film because it's like he's hitting all of his notes. He's like perfected Mm. the bullshit that he's trying to get to at this point because it's like (laughs) you have the poorly acted play. You have uh, like one or two like just tremendous performances. Uh, You have like everything's fucking center. Like, but everything, literally every yeah. shot in this. Uh, you, then you have the weird stop motion stuff and like the extravagant fucking set design and the extravagant costumes and the colors and all that. <laughs> it's all here, but it's too much, I think, all at one time. You yeah. know, like I think it's better in doses. I think that's what I like about something like a Life Aquatic because it's not like it's there's something still sort of gritty about it. And he shot out on a fucking sea and stuff. And it's it, just like it's a it's, bit. It's real. Yeah. That movie's fucking real. Yeah. Whereas like he he did that here as well. Like he didn't want to shoot this in a studio. He easily could have, but he didn't want to because he doesn't like shooting in studios. He said that he was like, we didn't want to. I don't like I don't like it. So I mm. wanted to go find a place, but he did it. But then he still like did a miniature and he's still like does all these other weird little stop motion things and made it painfully yeah. twee. And then he fucking, of course he like changed the fucking aspect. <laughs> it's like oh, another God thing. Damn you. What's he going to do in the next film? I already know it changes like from color Constantly. to black and white and stuff. So <laughs> like, fuck 3d 3d <laughs> That's next man. 4d experience. 4D. Wes Anderson. Some guy's just going to come put a bow tie on you in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you're like oh shit I need to become an author or something I'm gonna get my ass kicked when I get out of here <laughs> <laughs> oh man I'm a fucking nerd <laughs> alright let's get in the cast Ray Fiennes is Monsieur Gustave H awesome mm. he was modeled after Stefan Zweig as well so Zweig was the Looks author like but he was also modeled after uh Ray Fiennes is uh, everyone is Stefan Zweig yeah everyone movie. is Stefan Zweig <laughs> even zero <laughs> yeah so Wes Anderson desired to have an English actor play Gustav and Fiennes was the actor he sought to work with for several years so Ray Fiennes was up for it he was surprised by the offer offer uh and like I said earlier he was pretty eager to part from his famously villainous roles and he found <laughs> Gustav's panache compelling uh, but there was a rumor that uh, Johnny Depp was considered for the role. Fuck no. I can almost see it happening, but... He'd be doing Jack Sparrow. Yeah. It's just, I don't want it. Or like Willy Wonka. Like the worst of yeah. Johnny Depp. Like, Ooh, weird. Yeah. Weird and with a vague accent. <laughs> Cookie. Ah, uh, goddamn. Like, that's another person that I wish we could just like bash over the head and like rewire to like not be like the role that like... He was really famous for like forever. Oh man, it's don't like, let fucking don't let Twitter hear that man. <laughs> Justice for Johnny Depp. I I just mean like I don't want to see him play Jack Sparrow every film. Now. Forever. Like yeah. he, he what was that one film he did where he was like 
the writer who like was sort of like freaking out and there's like like was he like i can't remember it was something like he was like like his recent wife, movie it was like i don't know 15 years ago maybe like his wife was murdered or something he was like i think or something like that and he was like being framed for her murder but he's like a writer and that's pirate to the caribbean too <laughs> they all blur together that's all right yeah secret window that's it oh it sounds bad john turturro's in it as well yeah dude yeah secret window good film why are we talking about johnny depp uh johnny depp didn't (laughs) you apparently it was just a rumor wes anderson like has said that it was never meant to be johnny depp he's never ever considered but apparently Johnny Depp like was, but he just had scheduling problems, so he couldn't do it. Uh, so I don't know how true that is. Someone's lying somewhere. I don't know. Ray Ray Fines was apparently pretty unsure of how he should approach the character because like the extent of Wes Anderson's like oversight meant that he was not really able to improvise the way he would normally do. Mm. I can imagine that. This is like. Like what's a really like a, a wrestler that just calls in the ring like a Ric Flair or something like that or like you know um, probably like a Daniel Bryan or something and then he's like having to face someone who's like notorious for plotting out every fucking move like fucking Macho Man or something Macho Man like yeah. you know it's just like a clash of like style yeah and that's basically what we've been doing here it's like PTA versus uh, Wes Anderson like, like yeah you pick you pick what you like. <laughs> I don't like the ultra put me in the book yeah. storytelling. Like yeah. everything is framed, like framed perfectly. Yeah. The symmetry and everything is think you know synced up, and the every, just every shot is like perfectly centered, and yeah. people move very specifically and talk very specifically. And I prefer PTA more freewheeling approach. Like this would have been really annoying to film. I bet I, f- I feel like if you get out of your mark or something, then like Wes Anderson will get really upset and just be like, Oh, we got to do it again. Cause you're out of like, you know, you're not in your mark. Whereas PTA would be like, follow him. Keep it. Follow him. Like, follow him around. He's yeah. moving. Did you see how crazy he's moving? Just fucking follow him. Oh, you knocked into the camera operator. It's yeah. fine. Keep it. Put <laughs> it in fucking the fucking the movie. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it. the camera operator tripped over a cable. All right, fine. Just keep it in. It's kind of interesting. Like, why, did the, camera, good. why did the camera go? <laughs> <laughs> it's like me with the microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, so he, he had to decide if he needed to focus more on tone. So rather it be hyper camp or understated. So I think he did a great job though. He's so fucking good in this film. Like just, Mm. yeah nails it like he comes in he knows what he's doing and he like hits it and it's re- like i said earlier refreshing to see like just a different side of ray fines like yeah giving it more depth yeah. than like maybe and even on paper and make for the most interesting person to watch yeah um he said he was inspired by hung- the hungarian jewish men escaping the nazis in the 1999 drama sunshine his brief stint as a porter at brown's hotel in london Oh, fun! <laughs> reading. I used to be a lobby boy, <laughs> <laughs> and reading Stefan's Zweig's "The World of Yesterday." So I'm assuming, yeah, yeah West that's required Can reading. Yeah, yeah. Just play this guy. Yeah, yeah. Come on, come on, come on, come on! I can't wait to hear who he's obsessed with for <laughs> that for the French Dispatch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's like the riffing off like New, New York, York Times and shit. Yeah, yeah, fucking. 
whatever his thing is next time. Yeah. It's like whatever he was interested in for like that brief period in between like yeah. films. It's just like, all right. Yeah, I, I guess that's what PTA does, but yeah. less obnoxious, you know, yeah. oil and then fucking dressmaking yeah. for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they both, I guess everyone does it. It's, it's but yeah, it's just how you choose to, uh, what, what you do with it, how you choose to, yeah. to I mean, yeah. this, this film really could be, I think, could have been great if it was a little less like, I think like in the box is so in the box, but also like, like trim down a lot of the stuff that doesn't really matter and expand upon other things. Like, you know, yeah, it feels like, like if you're not going to use Bill Murray, don't put him in your movie. Like there's no fucking yeah. point. Like, like that it's just whole a distraction. Scene, Cause you're like, Oh, Bill Murray, like that whole, like, and that took up like two and a half minutes that you could have used yeah. for other things like to have him. Well, uh, fucking like I'll go through the whole list here. We have, yeah, for the Society of the Cross Keys cameos, we have Bill Murray as M. Ivan. We have Owen Wilson as M. Chuck. Bob Balaban as uh, M. Martin. We have Fisher Stevens. We have Wallace Wolodarski. We have M. George oh, yeah. uh, as M. George. We have uh, Waris Aluwalia. Uh, <laughs> like, you have all these mm. guys who are in all of his films and stuff, but West you Anderson don't guy, use them. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. no point. Higher, goddammit. Higher. Like, these, it yeah, doesn't literally matter. One line. Like, it feels disconnected in a, in the thing that I like gave props to Darjeeling for doing well. It felt really connected to the outside world um, and used it. And this had more stuff going on in the outside world and feels completely detached from it, apart from the sort of lip service moment of him fighting off Nazis. Yeah. But like, you know, it's not treated very seriously until the end where it suddenly is. And it's like. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, but why are you telling? I feel like your your want to tell this story is more based off. I like the look. I like the time. I like you know maybe that's enough. But it's like I get off on just this. I want to recreate you know, thirty uh, Vienna. Yeah, and make a movie set there. Not I want to tell a story about this guy who's sort of in-between worlds, passing on his knowledge to a younger person and, you know, how that's demonstrating changes in Europe and society at the time and how the war changed it and all these things that get lost in the shuffle. I feel like this, this is the moment where the style is the picture now. And some people like that. That's why people go to see a Wes Anderson movie, yeah. right? But that's not what I... I like the style, sure. It gets a bit too much, but I'll forgive it always. If there's a story I can give a shit about. If there's characters I can give a shit about. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, I always loved Wes Anderson films and stuff because of his style. Like, yeah. But he also, because the stories are really fun. There's always the quirkiness. This film has the quirkiness for sure. But it's like, it doesn't have the full package in the story, though. Like... there's there's i think there really is a skeleton of an awesome awesome story that you could tell here but it felt Mm -hmm. like he wasn't really fully committed to that because he was so committed to like making it look the way it looks it looks amazing fine but the story sucks (laughs) really because like (laughs) yeah it doesn't it doesn't like really go all the way you know Mm. and it's like it's missing something it's just like i don't know and it, that was sort of, I think, the problem with a little bit with Moonrise as well. I feel like he's it, just starting to slowly slip away from having a decent story because he's more committed to like having the film look a certain way. And yeah. I don't really get it because it felt like it was just like getting better and better. 
And then it's just like, yeah, nah. Darjeeling Limited is so simple. And the story's fucking amazing. Yeah. But it looks incredible as well. And he got to yeah. do what he wanted to do. Like, he filmed on a fucking train in India and, like, had these train cars. And, like, it looks in- incredible. But, like, how was it going to a hotel, like, which seems like, like you said, it seems like like a good place to just have a fucking movie, be set in a hotel. I mean, you've got, like, great films that it sort of, like, has... Yeah, I don't know, like sort of almost feels like it tips his cat to is tips his cap to like a fucking Barton Fink or something like that, you know, like set in a hotel mm-hmm. and it just looks cool. It yeah, has all yeah. this sort of style and stuff, but that has such a cool story that <laughs> like, you know, delivers. You need both. At the end of the day, you need here. both. And he yeah. that's just one way he leaned too far yeah. for me. And because people fucking freaked out about it. Yeah. It looks like that's all he will do <laughs> yeah. now until the next uh, phase. Yeah, really. We'll talk about it as we wrap up. But um, yeah. there was this kind of funny thing that came up. So like the designer on the film and Atkins, like I guess maybe it was sort of like props and stuff. She stated in an interview that she created a prop note- notebook for her and Gustav mm-hmm. uh, to use. But Ray Fiennes immediately noticed that the notebook had no lines in it. So he argued and that an organized and meticulous man as his character in Gustav would have been with that. He would always prefer li- lines to write on. So the design department got him a notebook with lines, but this was just kind of funny. So like she was telling this in interviews and stuff, and she later had to stop using it as an example when she learned that journalists were completely missing her point about like actually kind of the genius of Ray Fines, like, thinking there yeah not the ineptitude of uh, the well it was just like they start writing angles that ray finds was being a diva on set and oh what like he was just thought oh i gotta have lines i have to have lines like let's choose the opposite but he's like someone who's obviously getting the point of the film in his character yeah (laughs) it's really weird all right so we have tony revoluri as zero mustafa He's named after Zero Mostel, so that's Max Bialystock from the the producers. That's where I think that character. Oh, name is cool! From. Uh, it's his it's first name. big role, and apparently it was the toughest character to cast for in the film. I bet. Again, with a Wes Anderson film where you have a bit of a younger actor, it seems like they struggle a lot to cast the perfect character for it or the first perfect person for it. So you had casting director Douglas. Uh, Ibel, who is looking for a relatively unknown teenage boy, preferably of Arabic or origin, to carry the role. Uh, but the filmmakers held auditions in Egypt, Lebanon, Israel, France, England, and the United States before revising the role's ethnic origin. And eventually, the filmmakers narrowed their search to Tony Revolori and his older brother Mario, who are both relatively unknown actors of Guatemalan descent. And Tony landed the part after one taped audition. He's really good in this movie. I really like him. I'm glad they sort of launched yeah. him. Now he's like Flash in the <laughs> Spider-Man movies. And he played that yeah. really well. It's totally like different than like, like no, any other Flash has ever been done. He's not yeah. like big bully Flash. He's just like an internet yeah. dick, which is what he would yeah, be yeah. now. So he's yeah. good. And he's good in this movie. Wish he had more yeah. lines. Wish he had more to do. But yeah, I can imagine that was a very difficult thing to cast because he just had to be there and sort of. Yeah, I guess you're projecting on him. He's our yeah. way in. He's the, the audience there. He's watching things like you are, and not getting too involved. But 
I would just like to get the, the, yeah. the, you know, he's essentially the main character. I'd like to get to know him a bit more, um, especially since he does have a whole love story at the end that well, they yeah. wash over. But he, they start but he off by washing it. it over, like washing over it, and then they like <laughs> end it by sort of washing over it. It's sort of a weird one. I mean, obviously, it sounds like it's a touchy yeah. subject. She like died. He was died crying. Some... And it's just like clearly <laughs> like they squirted his face. <laughs> With water. Yeah, it seems like, yeah, it was sort of a pet project for Wes Anderson. Apparently, Tony Revolori and Wes Anderson rehearsed together for four months before they started filming to build a rapport. And it seemed like you kind of get that. It feels like he literally is Wes Anderson's puppet in this film. He looks great in the film <laughs> and he does a great job. With the pet yeah, mustache? He, he does yeah. a great job and he's like, he nails it, but it's sort of like, yeah, like you said, there's not much going on there. Like, it's not as much as you would want. F. Murray Abraham, of course, plays the Elder Zero, and he shot all of his scenes within a week. And the appearance of F. Murray Abraham's Mr. Mustafa is based on the American writer and professor Harold Jaff, or Jaffe, which uh, Wes Anderson, of course, is a big admirer of his work. It's always these like these who, guys. Who it's just like yeah, I like this guy. Like, I I kind of get annoyed sometimes. What like when I'm watching these films and I like um, doing the the research and stuff because like I don't know who these fucking people are and it just makes you feel kind of like dumb and stuff. Like yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's like all these yeah. references. Like am I supposed yeah. to get these it's fucking like, I don't references? Care. Just tell a good story again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the 1968 sequences involving Jude Law and F. Murray Abraham were filmed first due to the production team. They first like assessed the old vacant uh, Gorlitz department store that they used for the hotel lobby. And they basically just they decided like, yeah, this is great. This is it's shabby. It's crumbling, uh, but it's somehow enchanting in the ruins. And this is cool. like, you know, looks amazing. This is what do we want it to be like? So they had to film those bits first and then. They basically go in, dress the whole thing up to simulate the sort of 1930s hotel and the drop ceiling uh, was removed to reveal the original three floor area. And yeah, there was basically like uh, CG augmented like extra floors that were added and stuff. But yeah, it's like they did all this work to make it look like a prestigious place. But I kind of like that, like how like run down, like, you know, the spa like looked you know the baths looked and like yeah that looked really good yeah like the tile yeah. coming off the wall and it, like and you get it you get the vibe that he loved this place that that's what i think is like more interesting because you that's want it to be in idea. the hotel why is this hotel so perfect why yeah. does he why do these people love it so much it's but it in turn turns out more about like this wild goose chase with this man that he respected and not so much the hotel it's like all right yeah but it reminded me of the the cinema and I wanted more of that. It's just like, I love this place. And it will, in the future, it will be like this moment in time, yeah. perfectly encapsulated. And I can imagine coming back to the place and trying to hold on to it because it's been so life-changing for me. Mm-hmm. So, like, feed into that. That's a really nice, this idea of this theme of nostalgia is powerful, it's potent. And it, it's our way in, but like, there's not in, enough of that i think you could really lean into that that story would fuck could make me cry because i already related just to the idea of it yeah but they just tell you that's what's going on at the end they're like oh prob- you know probably in his head 
he was just trying to hold on to a little part of it that made him happy. And it's like, I fucking know that. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. that's what the fucking, that's what's fucking happening. Yeah. Why don't you show me it? Why don't yeah. you show me all the times you're happy at the fucking hotel? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they gloss stop. over it. Like, yeah. And it just, like, literally is a wild goose chase through parts of an unknown Europe. And yeah. It's just all vague and nothing yeah. moments. I don't know, man. Uh, all right, so we got Saoirse Ronan uh, as Agatha and Apprentice Baker in Zero's Lover. Uh, in an interview, Saoirse Ronan said, making the hotel's signature confection, the courtesan au chocolat, wasn't <laughs> easy. She said, unlike most movies, the food plays an integral part, and it requires the actual making of a pastry. And for that, Phil, I said, she is the bringer of snacks. It is snack, snack time! time! that one all right phil what'd you bring for snack time you know we're talking hotels we're talking the ultimate hotel the grand budapest hotel yeah and you know you've been to hotels i've been a hotel you know you've been to hotel and you know nice hotel Mm -hmm. the one where you don't have to change the sheet they they leave stuff (laughs) i see where you're going i was so i was so close they Doing leave stuff on your on your pillow. They leave lovely chocolate mint. Ooh. And I have after eight. After eight. I was so after close. Delightfully <laughs> minty dark chocolate thin where you close together. Yeah. This is the first thing I thought of. I was like, yeah, that's good enough. Yeah. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> but look at the, even in a fancy little wrapper. Ooh. And I don't really like mint or dark chocolate, but I like them in that context. I'm trying to put myself there. You know, you just come in, you've had a long trip, you know, and the, the bed made up, the, the room is, you know, clean and quiet and the fridge, the mini bar stocked up with stuff that will overcharge you. And you're like, yes. I can rely on this free I can rely. piece of chocolate. It's definitely free. I'm going to go around and eat all <laughs> of the free chocolate in the room. <laughs> I'm going to knock on people's doors. Are you going to have your after yeah. eights? Yeah. <laughs> no, I haven't tried one of these, no. Um. Oh. Oh. It puts you in that good mood. You just you just know you're so you're in holiday and mode creamy. Yeah. Exactly. Ooh. Mm. That's nice. That's really nice, actually. And it's good because it's like I don't want a whole box of those. Yeah. It's like self-regulating. Yeah. You can have a cup when you're like, I'm good. You're not going to eat a whole box of chocolate and feel bad about yourself. How many stars is this hotel getting? You can actually use stars. Eight stars. It's an eight star. <laughs> eight star <laughs> snack. After Holy eight. Shit. Eight stars. <laughs> eight stars. Why not? All right. What did you bring? All right. Well, we're talking Sarsha Ronan. She's playing Agatha. She works for Mendel's, the uh, <laughs> lovely 
bakery, bakery, the patisserie or whatever that everyone seems to enjoy in this little unknown town as a broker, wherever they're fucking at. Then fired our popcorn boxes. Yeah. I was very close to bringing that and like just putting what I have inside of it. But I, I was scratching my head. I was like, Oh, I need to get some sort of pastry or something. But I figured, Hmm, there is a very particular British, uh, pastry brand Mm -hmm. that kind of looks like Mendel's and it's almost like the British version of Mendel's. It's Mr. Kipling. And he's got so many different kinds of little cakes and stuff. But I decided to go with French fancies and it's even pink. Look at that. It's pink. And also painfully. What is going on here on this box? It's got fucking rolled doll shit on it. Oh man. Fucking Matilda. FMF reference on it. So holy shit. It's our anti-Semitic friend. It is the racist (laughs) version of, yeah, it's just this fucking British here, you know? And, um, yeah. French fancies are great. So we're going to pop up in French fancies. Ooh, it's a whole like, do it. Oh, like grab bag. Which color should I go for? We've got pink. We've got yellow. You got to do pink. Chocolate. Yeah. We got to do pink because this is like a very pink film. The pink episode. I think the chocolate one is the best one. Well, I'll try one later. Are they different flavors? What is this, like strawberry or something? They're different flavors, yeah. Because the white one is white chocolate, I think. Okay. And the yellow one is lemon. I don't have and any then you pick one is strawberry. Alright. It doesn't taste like strawberry. Maybe they're all one flavor, actually. I think they're all vanilla. Oh, fuck it then. It's good, though. And to be honest, this is a nice consistency. It kind of reminds me of like some of those uh, cakes back home that I really like, um, like zebra cakes and stuff. So, ooh, oh yeah, pretty good. What do you? How many stars are you giving it? I don't think this is you know fine establishment we're talking about here, but it's not bad. It's got to have four stars. It's a premier end. Yeah. It's a courtyard by Marriott. <laughs> yeah, Marriott, it's not the Marriott. You know? It's a courtyard by Marriott. It's it's yeah, sitting. It's a double it. tree. It's not yeah. a hilltop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what it is. No, but not bad. I know a lot of hotels. <laughs> not bad. And also, I mean, I just had. I just thought it was the Perfect. funniest shit that it had like a rolled doll thing on it. It's like, yeah, it's really it's sewing up the entire fucking arc here. The arc it's done coming to an end, people. <laughs> Well, Saoirse Ronan was a longtime fan of Wes Anderson, uh, but she feared the deadpan theatrical acting style characteristic of Wes Anderson films would be <laughs> too difficult to master. But master, not the right. She is. She is reassured by the director's conviction, though, and uh, you know, she said that he guides everyone extremely well. He is very secure in his vision, and he is comfortable with everything he does. He knows it's going to work. So, I mean, you know, you want that, especially if someone's so particular about shit. You know, we just talked about a film uh, for Patreon that someone was very particular about something, but they weren't too sure of themselves. <laughs> and it was yeah, a fucking train like, wreck. Yeah. This wasn't a train wreck. It just didn't hit, if, you know, in my opinion. But other people yeah, think yeah. it's fucking great. And I don't really get it, but whatever. <laughs> the decision to play Agatha uh, with Saoirse Ronan's native Irish accent, though, was Wes Anderson's idea. After experimenting with German, English, and American accents, they felt the Irish accent projected a warm, feisty spirit to Agatha. 
Anderson recalled her asking, what accent should she use for the character? And, uh, he said, well, Ray Fiennes is speaking like an English person and Jeff is speaking like Jeff Goldblum and uh, Tony huh. is speaking with the accent of someone from Anaheim. And we have German actors who are speaking in, with German accents. So I guess Irish. And <laughs> Saoirse Rona replied that she's never played a character in her real accent, or at least to that point, because she did eventually finally do it with uh, 2015's Brooklyn. So Brooklyn. her first time uh, is when she's playing a bakery girl from a weird place called Zabrook. <laughs> that felt appropriate. <laughs> we have Tilda Swinton as Madame D. Originally, Angela Lansbury was cast in the role, but she had scheduling conflicts huh. when she was performing on stage. At, uh, I'm not sure where, but she was doing Driving Miss Daisy on stage, so they hired Tilda Swinton instead. That's a weird one to do with theatrical adaptation of what a whole thing <laughs> in a fucking car. <laughs> yeah, can't even get a car on stage. <laughs> and I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not. A, I don't not not Tilda Swinton fan, and I hate when they do this. Just get a fucking old person. Yeah, it's really annoying. It's really distracting, and it makes no sense. I don't mind Tilda Swinton, and I didn't mind this too much because I think it it looked passable, so it was fine. Sure. Um, yeah. Sure. But the the thought bothered me. <laughs> like fucking Jared Leto in that new Gucci, the Gucci movie yeah. he's in, and he's aged up, and it's like just get a fucking older yeah. actor. Fuck Jared Leto. Stop feeding his ego. Throw Jared Leto on the sea without a life raft. Middle of the ocean. Whatever there's fucking sharks. And maybe yeah. maybe just prick him with a pen or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I, last night, Julia and I... Watch him blow. Last night, Julia and I seriously spent an hour uh, watching tr- new trailers for like the most anticipated films of 2021 and 2022. And oh, yeah. it was fucking abysmal because every film looked exactly the same. But they the, <laughs> the Morbius trailer, and I was just like, oh, this oh, looks, looks so bad. bad. It's just like a shite yeah. Batman. Like, but with Stop Jared making Leto. Spider-Man movies without Spider-Man. Yeah, they're all bad. You know, like, it doesn't yeah, work. No one cares. Like, why would you make a Venom film and not have Spider-Man face Venom. it? Venom! <laughs> like, yeah. that's what I want to like, see. I want to he- see fucking spider-man face venom i don't want to see Fight venom as a weird quasi good guy you're just fighting other different colored yeah. venoms like carnage should be facing <laughs> fucking Spider-Man. venom and spider-man yeah. they team up yeah to that's when he does his fucking face yeah. turn his whole arc is ruined now <laughs> and you're left with a weird tom hardy doing woody allen yeah. impression i don't know. I get the phrenic yeah. woody allen but anyway Tilda Swin, back on her. <laughs> it took five hours in the makeup chair. Wes Anderson said that while his movies are usually shot for modest budgets and he doesn't have a ton of money to splash out on extravagant services, he decided to get the makeup artist that could command the highest fees when it came to Tilda Swinton's Madame D prosthetics because he wanted it to be convincing. And I mean, it was pretty convincing, whatever. But that's where he threw a lot sure. of his money at. It was just for that. Mm. All right. Just for that fucking face. Yeah. Just for her like weird eye. All right, let's get into the rest of the cast. We have uh, Adrian Brody as Dimitri, Madam D's son. Great. Uh, I would Great. have enjoyed more. Like, yeah, because he was like a proper villain yeah. and a piece of shit. He's such an I wish they leaned yeah. into it more. But again, he's in a couple of scenes, but he's like pulling the yeah. strings. And it's like, 
have some stuff him and Willem Dafoe running around killing people. Although we do get some of that. Annoyingly, this film has a weird habit of like wrapping up like important pieces of story like via like newspaper headlines that you could easily miss. And voice yeah, and then like when they finally open the second yeah. will, they're talking yeah. over it. And then they're like, there's things like uh, they spoil things at the beginning of the film with newspaper headlines as well. It's very strange. Very, mm. very strange. Um, he kills a cat. He drops Jeff Goldblum's cat out the window. So I'm wondering if right. this is post, this is post, this is pre Isle of Dogs, Break it down. right? Yeah. But this is post him killing Snoopy in Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, yeah. And the dog in yeah. Royal Tenenbaums. And the dog in Life Aquatic. Yeah. Which they didn't kill, but he left on this island. Maimed. So, <laughs> all right. So this is Wes Anderson saying, see? I don't hate dogs. I, I hate that. I fuck cats, too. Cats fuck too. cats, too. I'll kill them all. I'll, kill I'll them. fucking kill them all. <laughs> I hate animals. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. I forget about this scene. It's so fucked up. And then you have William right. Defoe's Jopling. Uh, who's the ruthless hitman for Dimitri, who Definitely also need needed a little bit more of. He's very funny. He's very good very in this film. Fun. One of the better parts of the film. The, f- the um, fucking fingers. The fingers where he so like messed up. Jeff Goldblum's fingers off, just slamming the on door. the door. Oh. Like there's the those two moments, hatch. the cat and the fingers, where you're just like, holy shit. Oh, and the woman's head. Just pull the yeah. woman's head out of the basket. Like, out of nowhere. Shit. Yeah, the, the uh, sister's head. Yeah. It's weird, yeah. Um, and I, but I like to. I like you know. He had a little pouch. He just had a flock and a gun. Yeah. Like more moments, like when <laughs> fucking Lucas Hedges showed up, and he'd like, "Where you going, Mister?" Yeah. What a like <laughs> another like yeah okay why throw like, away throw away person Lucas Hedges is the gas station pump attendant. All right, cool, <laughs> cool. All right, didn't get stabbed this time. Yeah. Uh, I guess he's still early in his career, but whatever. It's like he obviously mm-hmm. liked Lucas Hedges a little bit, so he put him in. Like I said, Jeff Goldblum is Deputy Vilmos Kovac, so he's the lawyer representing the Grand Budapest interests, as well as the estate of Madame D. And is sort of like, oh, why does he uh, represent both? Oh, that's interesting. And so he's in a big estate. Oh, it's because she's actually the unknown owner mm-hmm. of the Grand Budapest Hotel. Okay, and leave whatever. To good stuff, yeah. Uh, we have Matthew... Or Matthew, I'm not really sure how you pronounce it, like that French version. Is it just Matthew or Matthew? Yeah. Matthew. Ma- Matthew. 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 Almerick, who plays Sir Jax, who's the shifty butler who works oh, for yeah. Adam D. I mean, he's fine. Like, the one who leaves the letter conveniently in the painting. Yeah. Was just waiting for them to figure out. It's old again. Yeah. It's literally old. I forgot like, like, until the very end. I was just like, oh, God. I was just waiting for it. Yeah. It's just like, it's right there. Yeah. Just remember. <laughs> we have uh, Harvey Keitel as Ludwig, the leader of the prison gang at Checkpoint 19. Uh, he's great in this as well. Yeah. Okay. Slapped, uh, but, you know, the scene where he slaps Tony Revolori like in the face, like his good luck, yeah, kid. Slaps him. <laughs> yeah, apparently he did that 42 times because Wes Anderson like just needed to get it right. It's a dick, holy yeah. shit, 42 times. What a great day! On and he was literally slapping him, Tony Revolori, just slapping yeah. him for real. Jesus Christ, I love that bit. The, I mean, they had one of the uh, biggest laughs that got out of me. Yeah, he's great. That was one of my favorite. Just sequences, take it out. I love the prison, prison escape. I 
like, yeah. all right, I'll go ahead and spoil one thing I want Wes Anderson to do is a fucking prison escape film. Why not? Fuck. We yeah. haven't had a good prison escape film for probably 30 or 40 years now. Like, come on, give us a really good one. A meaty one. Yeah. You know who I'd cast in it? George Clooney. Perfect. Because we need Doing him to like do a, a film. version of an ocean movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, another sort of, I mean, he's sort of borderline done it with, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? You know, he's in prison, sort of escapes, but it's like, it you don't really get to see the escape properly. Like, I want to see it. And it's obviously, this was very influenced by Escape from Alcatraz. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could, you could say Shawshank, but I mean, I'd say more so the last film was Shawshank, but he wanted, he, like, I remember from, uh, Jared Gilman's interview with Petros, that uh, he said that he had to watch Escape from Alcatraz. Like that was something Wes Anderson told him he wanted to see. But this, you can see it. That whole escaping through the floor thing, it's so like scraping with the tools. I mean, we had the fucking, the cakes, you know, like that you, with the the tools inside and stuff, you know, it's like. Cheetah Mark the Baker. It's really fun. I like that whole bit. I'd like to see Wes Anderson do a fucking prison escape film. Very simple. And also, mm. you're set in a fucking cool place. You're in a fucking prison. You can make it look cool as shit. And you have yeah. cells and cells of interesting characters where you can do all your cameos. And you're in a box. Yeah. Amazing. Bill Murray is one at the Fucking prison. do it! It's evening. It's, do it! It's, um, but like, it's one of the, that whole sequence was somewhat, uh, I mean, a lot of this movie, because this is like, Ultra Wes Anderson yeah. turned up to fucking eleven, and a lot of films seem to have taken its cues from Grand Budapest. Yeah. And now I watch that prison sequence, and I'm like, this looks like Paddington. <laughs> this whole movie looks like fucking Paddington Bear. Maybe Paddington and ripped it just, after. It did. It did. Yeah. It came after. Yeah. But like, I've seen so many screen grabs of Paddington, and it looks just like fucking Grand Budapest Hotel yeah. that like and now Grand Budapest just looks like Paddington now it's like Submarine the Richard I. Whitey yeah. film it's like it's just been confused with West Anderson movies in my head because they're similar mm-hmm. um, but it kind of again it doesn't help me take it seriously yeah um, last but not least is Jason Schwartzman we have Monsieur Jean the Grand Budapest's concierge in 1968 yeah great i mean he does what he needs to do i would have liked a little bit more from him obviously i like the cigarette yeah i i think it's it's funny it reminded me a bit of like working at the cinema and stuff and and like you're saying if you're if you're like you're you want to talk about how like this is this is a an institution this is your you know this is your church the cinema like you know you love this place and it's like you're wanting to capture that moment it's like you can easily do that with Jason Schwartzman's Monsieur John as the Grand Budapest's concierge in present day. He's just like in a certain time where it's maybe on his tail end or something, you know, and it's just like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. the Dude. line, like, oh, I expect he's not well paid. It's like, that's brilliant. It's funny. That's a funny line. And that's what it, yeah. the vibe I, he gives. Imagine he'd forgotten all yeah. about it. That's <laughs> great. That like parallel thing, how it was and how it is now, it's yeah. great. And how it's not really their fault. Yeah, this like doomed place. I again, I wish something else more leaned into more, as well as the idea, just because it reminded me, like at the end, Ray Fine becomes the person he's been waiting on all his life, yeah. old, blonde, rich, <laughs> and unhappy. Yeah. yeah, 
and a drunk and being waited on hand and foot and it doesn't satisfy him. That's also a really fucking interesting arc to me. Yeah. To get to this thing of like, I've waited on these people my whole life, hand and foot. Everything I do is for them, making their life better and easier. And oh my God, I wish I could be like that for a day, mm-hmm. you know, just to flip it. And then that does happen. And it's like, but he doesn't find anything in it because all his character was built off the labor coming and working for the hotel. And, but yeah, it's one moment. It's one scene where he's like having a drink and it's sort of fake. Yeah. Drops. Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing with the build, like what happened? Show me 30 years of the grand Budapest. Yeah. If you're making a movie about, about the, hotel, the hotel, show the hotel. Make the hotel. Are you in a fucking train again? You main character. did it already. You were already in a train. <laughs> We've done it lots of like, times. Like you don't need to and do now it. We're black and every white. Fucking time. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one day he's just building up to just doing planes, trains, and automobiles. The remake. <laughs> I'm I'm down. <laughs> no, we don't need to remake. <laughs> great. No. <laughs> We've been charting throughout this entire arc, particularly with the Wes Anderson episodes, Wes Anderson's references, particularly his Peanuts references. All right, Phil. (laughs) I didn't really notice anything in particular in this film. There's probably something there deep down that's a weird reference to either Charlie Brown, Snoopy, Charles Schultz, one of the Peanuts characters, whatever it is. There was something else I found out as I was doing the research for this. The Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, Susie's fucking dress is actually spot on the girl with the red hair's dress. Like, it was sort of modeled a bit after, uh, like, Girl Scouts' dresses, but also the girl with the red hair. Okay. okay. All right. Um, in this film, though, yeah, dude, I couldn't find anything, but I found a reverse Peanuts reference. So, the <laughs> Charlie Brown and Snoopy movie, uh, or the Peanuts movie, that came out a few Neil years one? back... It was after yeah. this film came out. They did a poster, like a special poster, that was in the style of the Grand Budapest Hotel. Funny, with, uh, they gave it back. Yeah, Snoopy laying on top of this house, but it's like the color scheme and everything. It just looks like the mountain and everything in the hotel. It, and it's in the same writing. It's like, you know, the Peanuts movie or something. The same writing. Oh, yeah. I see it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really cute, yeah. actually. So that's kind of funny. A nice payback. Um, but anyway, it's been fun charting those. I I do. Really do they kill a Do they kill a, a kid that looks like a <laughs> thing? <in that> movie? <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> yeah. They just kill. Fuck you, Wes Anderson, <laughs> killing off dogs. All right, let's get into the music. We have uh, Alexandre Desplat. 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 He composed the soundtrack again in his third collaboration with Wes Anderson. It is a Russian folk-influenced piece-encompassing symphonic compositions and ambient drones and features contributions from professional orchestras such as the Osipov State Russian Folk Orchestra and a 50-man orchestra of French and Russian uh, balalaika players. I mean, I don't recall anything in particular from it that like extremely stood out but it is nice sounding uh, it's like a yeah, yeah. score um, Fine, it's like yeah. it sounds pretty and everything and it won him an Oscar for best original score at the 87th Academy Awards so pretty forgetful yeah there wasn't anything for me that like <laughs> oh I remember that piece in particular I think there was a couple of, like I think there's one for um, 
I think he's called Mr. Mustafa, which might be playing kind of over the background. It sounds kind of cool and dreamy and stuff. But, I mean, there's some nice bits, but nothing like that really stood out. And also, because it is a period piece, uh, Wes Anderson didn't put any of his particular like 60s rock, you know, faves in it. So yeah, it wouldn't work. Yeah. yeah. Uh, filming from the Grand Budapest Hotel took 10 weeks from January to March 2013 in Eastern Germany. Wes Anderson decided to shoot the Grand Budapest Hotel in three different aspect ratios. So you have 137, you have 185, and you have 235. So you have the box, you have flat, and you have cinemascope in order to help with the the audience uh, to differentiate between the three historical periods that are in the film. I don't think it helped anything. If anything, it was fucking confusing. So you have the 80s, (laughs) you have the 1960s, and you have the 1930s. Uh, Despite this, the producers gave very strict instructions to projectionists at theaters around the world about how they should project the movie. Instructed to project the movie in 185, which is the standard setting, uh, projectionists were also given notes on technicalities like image brightness and audio configuration, whatever. Uh, but I remember that being kind of a thing, especially when we first started showing it, because it was <laughs> like, I think they tested the DCP and they were sort of, it was in like, it was like in 137 or something at the beginning of the film. And then it switched to like 185 and then it switches to scope. And it's like, what, what's going on here? And I think one of the first Stop times it. they like were, had the film on, it was just in the wrong aspect ratio. Cause someone like could put it in something else and it just didn't work. <laughs> and then it was just like, okay, leave it at 185. <laughs> 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 I guess that was before you were at the cinema. So you probably didn't. Yeah, know, no, but, I didn't catch yeah. that. I call the Isle of Dogs. Yeah, that switches does manic. Yeah, yeah. How does uh, he do that? Just stop. change it. <laughs> love movie so it's much. It's gonna be like that's what I'm expecting French Dispatch to be. It's like I've already read that it's a bit like it almost feels anthology uh, style because there's so many goddamn people and so many stories. He's probably gonna change the aspect ratios. He's changing colors. Ah, uh, <laughs> it's, it's too much. Already don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, While filming the Grand Budapest Hotel, the cast and crew all stayed at the same hotel, which is the Hotel uh, Bourse in Gorlitz, Germany, where a lot of the movie was filmed. Wes Anderson insisted that the all the wardrobe fittings and makeup applications be done in the hotel lobby too, and these were measures to expedite production because uh, they'd only had between seven and eight hours of natural light throughout the day. So basically it was just like, fucking go, we gotta fucking go. And the owner of the Hotel Boris appears in the final film as an extra working on the Grand Budapest's hotel's uh, front desk. And apparently they would go back to the hotel in the evening and he'd be there at the front desk of that hotel as well. I <laughs> saw <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of this guy. <laughs> uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel premiered in competition at the 64th Berlin International Film Festival on February the 6th, 2014, winning the festival's Silver Bear Grand Jury Prize Award, the first of many prizes it would win. It headlined the 10th Glasgow Film Festival as the event's opening film before seeing its North American premiere in New York on February 27th in 2014. It would later be released uh, theatrically in March and would go on to be a surprise box office hit, earning $59.3 million in the United States and Canada and a whopping 
$113.6 million overseas for a worldwide total of $172.9 million <laughs> on a $25 million budget. Jesus. Dude, Hudson Hawk had a $65 million budget. <laughs> I mean, I know it's inflation, and shit, but if, if it's inflation, then $25 million is way lower. I don't know. Yeah, how? Goddamn. Where with the money? <laughs> but yeah, it made... It did well, though. It made it uh, Wes Anderson's highest grossing film to date. Jesus Christ, man. Great. Yeah, I'm How did it make so much money? What happened? What was it? What, what was it? What is it about yeah. this movie that like people are like, oh my God, yes. It's everything I wanted. But that's the thing. Like People are really hyped for Moonrise as well. So there's been this, I think people like this shift for Wes Anderson. It's just like, it's people are starting to catch on. I feel like Grand Budapest is only good if you don't know Wes Anderson. Though. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. Like yeah. if you if that's your first, Maybe that's you're like, it. oh shit, this is really yeah, fucking it's cool. Because it's like, wow, holy shit, this looks incredible. It looks amazing. I've never seen a movie like this, yeah. but we've seen fucking eight of yeah. these movies now. And so we know. We kind of know what we're but, talking about. No, yeah, we don't. We know the good we don't. From the bad. <laughs> but we know what we like. <laughs> Exactly. I'm not going to say uh, I know I, what I'm I talking know. about. But, um, I know what I like, yeah. and I know what I don't like. Yeah. Don't like uh, this. Don't really like this one. Uh, the film was a hit with critics, making it on a number of end-of-year lists, and many complimenting the craftsmanship of Wes Anderson. Though, like I said, some critics you know, didn't really appreciate him taking the subject matter of the film a little too lightly, like the error he said it in, even if it's not really that error. <laughs> Ray Fiennes was singled out for having a transformative and total perfection performance with uh, San Francisco Chronicles. Mick LaSalle felt that Ray Fiennes casting was the study of a reserved actor exhibiting the fullest extent of his emotional range. That's pretty fair. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty fair. Yeah. He does a lot with what should be a, uh, difficult character. Yeah. Play, I think. Well, though many didn't think the Grand Budapest will get a lot of love at the Oscars due to its March release, there weren't many favorites that year. <laughs> it was a quiet a, year, folks. Well, there was a lot of the big films were having a lot of controversy around them. So you had American Sniper and you had oh, Selma. Yeah. So the Grand Budapest uh, started to gain some momentum and it ended up it's white. With- it's safe. It's okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it got Nazi. They're bad. Yeah. That's good. It's white bread. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It gained momentum and it ended up with nine nominations, including Jeez. for best picture, best director. <laughs> and it's nine nomination tied the eventual best picture winner, which was Birdman that year. Oh, Birdman was way better. But, I mean, it won, so... It won, good. Yeah. There you go, the, it won. The film would go on to receive four Oscars, so it won for Best Original Score, which you already said. It won Best Production Design, Best sure. Makeup and Hairstyling, and Best Costume Design. I mean, yeah, fair enough. It, does, yeah. it looks, like, like I said, it looks incredible. Uh, it also won four BAFTAs, including Best Original Score and Best Original Screenplay, and it won the Golden Globe for Best Picture. For a comedy and musical. All right. <laughs> this motherfucker won a Golden Globe for one best of picture. He's <laughs> not much there. Yeah. He's not much there. I mean, neither neither have won that Oscar. Yeah. Neither Anderson. Yeah, they've had films that have won Oscars, but yeah. they themselves have not won it. 
Fuck. We'll see. We'll see. They're both releasing films in sort of Oscar season. Yeah, I don't know. I think the Academy had made up its mind over the Dota movie, which is a shame. Yeah. All right, Phil, while we're here, we've made it through all of the films so far. We'll eventually, you know, maybe you don't want to, but we'll eventually (laughs) talk about Soggy Bottom. And uh, yeah, and we'll also- The French Dispatch. (laughs) We'll also talk about the French Dispatch. Actually, the German Dispatch. Yeah, so we'll- (laughs) his real name. (laughs) Yeah. We'll talk about those films when we get to them. Um, yeah, whenever they're out. plenty of stuff to talk about, but that'll be down the line. But for now, it's We're time done. for the last time. Rank them! Phil, favorite eighth film. We have Phantom Thread <laughs> or The Grand Budapest. Phantom Thread. I already wrote down. All yeah, right, so I I don't think I ever I went with Wes Anderson one time, which I feel bad about. But yeah, you went with him on Bottle Rocket. Was it Bottle Rocket? Yeah. I also chose Phantom Thread. I just think it's a more fun film. Like mm. it was close. There was moments like because Phantom Thread is kind of weird, but there was mm. moments that are I, I do like about Grand Budapest, and there's a strong performance, and I think like Ray Fiennes versus Daniel Day Lewis are like comparable and they both put in great performances mm. similar, yeah, yeah, similar sort of characters. So there was things to consider, but you know, at the end of the day, Phantom Thread for me was a little bit better. So that ends the final rankings with three for West for me and five for PTA. Look at that. Woo! And you an astonishing one to seven. Uh, <laughs> but I got you on my side. Yeah. It's funny though. I still am an Anderson guy, so it's in, it's. You're kind of, an, oh, it's me in, too. It's impressive. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, so ongoing rankings for each director. All right, we're at the final stages. So we have myself. I'll go. Top film still Darjeeling Limited for Wes Anderson, The Life Aquatic, Bottle Rocket, Isle of Dogs, The Royal Tenenbaums, Rushmore, then The Grand Budapest Hotel, then Moonrise Kingdom, because I think it's. It probably it feels oh, like oh really yeah it feels like there's something a little bit more there like I don't know both of those films are kind of similar they're kind of on the same level I kind of like both of them well enough but mm. they're not like there's something about them that I don't really like and then at the very bottom Fantastic Mr Fox which I just FMF please. did not like FMF yeah <laughs> all right Phil where are you at so you last left us you had Darjeeling Limited the Royal Tenenbaums Bottle Rocket Moonrise Kingdom Isle of Dogs, Rushmore, The Life Aquatic, and Fantastic Mr. Fox. FMF. Where are you putting FMF? GBH? I'm putting GBH going right where you put it, right above FMF. Right but above. Second to last. GBH. Okay. Paul Thomas Anderson. This one was a little bit weird because I wasn't really sure where I was going to put Phantom Thread. But after having sent on it, yeah. top of the list for me. Phantom Thread. Phantom Thread? No. <laughs> there Will Be Blood, still number one. Uh, Punch Drunk Love, close second. The Master, number three. But then I was sort of unsure. Phantom Thread and Magnolia, where am I going to go? But Phantom Thread, something sort of fun about that film. Right in the middle, Phantom Thread, and then Magnolia. Wow. Then Inherent Vice, and then Boogie Nights, and then Heart Eight. But I can't believe you ranked Boogie Nights so low. Like, I know we did a whole episode on yeah. it. 
I talked way too much about how much I just kind of didn't really enjoy Boogie. <laughs> but I'm glad you enjoyed like the master and yeah. Phantom Thread. Well, I, yeah, I think they're. I don't know. I think Boogie Nights is just too much chaotic shit going on. It's too much. I like elements to it. That's the thing. It's like I like Inherent Vice, and I feel like it's really low. But Inherent Vice is fucking weird, so it's like lower than it should be. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. All right, how about you? You left us off. The master's top. This is a hard one for me. I'm, I've mixed it up because <laughs> my last one is still chronological. Am yeah. I right? That I've mixed it up now. I want to be honest, and it's annoying because I love most of these movies. Mm-hmm. So, like something like Inherit Vice, it's lower. Yeah, but that's but I really like in, Inherit Vice. So top master. Never going to change. Yeah. Number two, Punch Drunk Love. Okay, so it jumped up above There Will Be Blood. That's where you it last jumped up. All right. And another one worked its way up, Boogie Night. So you went from Boogie Night, so it was like fifth In on the your middle list of the road. To, it went up. To number three. Thinking on it, I'm like, I love Boogie, Boogie Night with my way in, mm. and I think I like it more. I could watch it more than the next one. There will be blood, which is a pretty perfect movie. Just it's in the middle, but great. These are all great. They're all equal in my eyes. Then Magnolia, then Inherent Vice, then Phantom Thread, and then Hard Eight. Okay, but they're all great. So it's hard to rank PTA movies because I like them all. Where at least West, the bottom half, I don't particularly like those movies. So it makes sense. It's easier to rank yeah. them. PTA is harder. It wasn't that hard for me because I don't really like Boogie Nights and I fucking hate it. <laughs> Part 8, so stop. Fair. Stop it. It's an easy, easy bottom. Yeah. Well, Phil. Soggy bottom. Soggy bottom. <laughs> well, Phil. That will change, though. Ask me in a month and that will change. Yeah, change. I was just trying to be honest with myself. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't feel like doing that because I don't give a shit. Because um, that puts a bow. It's only been two months. They'll, they'll months. put a bow on Anderson versus Anderson arc. We're done. For ding now. ding. Ring a ding ding. But wait, Phil. <gasps> <gasps> a wild Anderson has appeared. <laughs> but the name is Paul W.S. Anderson. Almost like some weird what? amalgamation of both directors. And what? What's that? Paul W.S.? You're, you're challenging them to a game? <gasps> of what? what game? Mortal Kombat? <laughs> That's right. Next week, Paul W.S. Anderson's 1995 adaptation of the popular 90s video game series Mortal Kombat is coming to your feeds. So I want to hear everyone who's fucking said, what about Paul W.S. Anderson? You better be fucking listening to this episode and you better share it to the worldwide and you better say, oh my God, they're finally doing Paul W.S. Anderson. They did it. Like, come on guys. There was so many people who were doing and you shut up. You shut up. We shut you up by relentlessly giving you giving into it. Paul Thomas Anderson (laughs) and Wes Anderson. So now, here you go. We're doing Paul West. So you better listen to it. It better be one of our most listened to episodes. Mortal Kombat next week. Uh, that's it, Phil. Jesus Can't Christ. Wait. Anderson versus did Anderson. It. You thought it was fucking over and it's not. <laughs> Anderson uh, versus Anderson versus Anderson. Here we go. But PTA still won. <laughs> so, <laughs> all it's right in the world. <laughs> yeah. Did he win, though? Yeah. It doesn't matter. 
What was up for yeah. grabs? Yeah, we went Nothing. um our respect. Yeah. Our time. <laughs> our ad our undying admiration. And time. Yeah. yeah, time. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, let us know what you think of the Anderson versus Anderson arc. We're done basically. We'll be back when they release new films but yeah for now that's it and uh we have some fun stuff coming up like we said last week you know we're gonna let you guys program our october so uh but yeah you you'll get you'll get those messages we'll drop them out onto i don't know twitter and instagram when when we get around to it and you can vote for what we you know have coming up but we kind of know what we're doing the next few months it's gonna be fun and then we're gonna head into christmas it's gonna be a jolly good time and then we'll come back (laughs) in the new year with a new insane arc um, so That's yeah, mad depressing. We're already talking about Christmas. Yeah, but <laughs> it was just Christmas. Yeah, I know this year went by so fast. Um, but yeah, mm. that's it uh, for me. You can find me at Tall for All T A L the number four A L L on Twitter and Instagram. As always, you can find the podcast at the PCC Podcast on Twitter <laughs> and Instagram. You can pop us email podcast French Hall Cinema. Support the podcast. Patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast. Phil, where can people find you? At Faraway Thad on Twitter and in real life. Yeah. And I'm at the cinema working a lot. A lot. Mm-hmm. Doing things. Yeah. Stop saying he's lazy living on his couch. You know. Exactly. Who's saying that? Yeah. Who's even saying that right now? <laughs> I can hear them. Maybe it's me. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. Phil, I got one last thing to ask you. Are you an Anderson guy or an Anderson guy? <laughs> We'll never know. <laughs> this podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged in Coppola Connections, A Drip Town Limery, Maine, Franchise, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.